weeks as I am working on sermon preparation. Some weeks are just harder than others. Some weeks it feels like, man, I know exactly what this is talking about. Um, Some weeks I was like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do with this. I don't know what God is really wants us to, to hear and be taught. And, and I really felt like this was one of those weeks that I was really just struggling with like, what, what to do with this. Um, and I'm kind of still there. Um, just want to go ahead and say that. Um, but if there's one thing that you hear, I'm going to say lots of words. But if there's one thing that I, that I want you to hear, it's going to be super simple. Just Jesus. It's the, the Sunday school answer. The, if you hear one thing, just hear Jesus. I was, as we were singing, whatever the, the second song was, like, we cannot boast in anything, let him be our only boast. I know the words are way wrong, but that was the point of that specific section of the song. And that's, that's, that's what I want us to hear today. If you hear nothing else, hear that. If you hear nothing else, hear that. And so I want us to, before we even get started, I want us to remember that we're looking at 1 John. And so where John has been writing to believers, he's been writing to those whose faith is already in Christ, who already are trusting in Christ for salvation. But everything I'm going to say today is so, so relevant to those that, whose faith is not in Christ as well. So wherever you're at, just hear Jesus. I just hear Jesus. So we're going to start in verse 18. I'm going to go ahead and pray, and then um, we're going to start in verse 18. God, I thank you for your word. Thank you that we, that, that you've given it to us, that, that we don't have to, to wonder, we don't have to... to to question what you've said because you've given it to us. I thank, I thank you for bringing us here, for um, the opportunity to gather as your church, as a local body of believers that, that you have purchased with the blood of Jesus, that, that we've been redeemed, we've been brought together as sons and daughters, as brothers and sisters. Father, I just I ask that you would just teach us, that you would change us, that as we look at your word, as we look at what it means to be saved, how we can know that we are saved, the, the assurance that we have, I pray that your spirit would, would show us that, that, that if we are saved, you would show us why, that it's all Jesus, that it's not us, it's all Jesus. And I pray that you would just give us that assurance that if there's people that doubt, that you would give them that assurance. And Father, if there's people that, that, that don't yet trust in Jesus, that you would show them their, their great need. Father, I just pray that you would do your purpose, that as we look at your word, you would accomplish exactly what you want to accomplish. In Jesus' name, amen. So, so I was going to start in verse 18. We read verse 18 last week at the very end, but I just want to, I want to, I want to start just by going through, um, just picking up right where we left off last week, because chapter 3, chapter 3, sorry. If you, 1 John chapter 3, 
Um, last week we talked about what it looks like to genuinely love our brothers and sisters within the church. What, what that is supposed to look like. And how we, we saw it in verse 16, it said that Christ laid down his life for us. And that's the same type of love that we are called to love our brothers and sisters with. That it's that same sacrificial love that Christ displayed on the cross for us is the same way that we are called to, to love our brothers and sisters, specifically within the local church. And I kept asking the question, what, how can we love one another as Jesus loved? How can we love one another within the church as Jesus loved? And we talked about some, a couple examples of what that might look like, but there's that, that, that list is really infinite. There's so many ways of how that can look, but the call is for it to be sacrificial, looking out for others before ourselves, letting go of our, our pet peeves or our comforts or our things, and serving our brothers and sisters. Verse 18 says, Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. So it's not just that we talk about this kind of sacrificial love, it's that we, we do it. We, we get in and we, and we love one another. And this week, it's not really part two. And when he finishes off the chapter, it's not really like the, reinforcing the same thing, but he, John kind of sidesteps a little bit. Because as we are, as we are going to get into verse 19 through 24, we're going to see that he's, going to, he's, he's assuring these Christians that they are saved. He's saying, this is how you can know. This is how you can be assured of this. This is the confidence you can have. I think that's important to know where we were last week because as we are in one another's lives, as we are dealing with one another and our brokenness and our sin, it's, it's hard. I mean, the, that, that sacrificial love we talked about last week is not easy. But we, in that, we can know that we are saved. And I, and I want us to see this. Look at, I'm gonna, let's read 19 through 24 real quick. I'm going to start in 18, sorry. Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him, because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. So there's really just two things that I want to um, show this morning from this text specifically. Just two kind of ideas. And the first one is that just because of Jesus, because of Jesus, our salvation is secure. Because of Jesus, our salvation is secure. And because our salvation is secure, sorry, that's number two. Because our salvation is secure, we can have confidence before God. And again, just as I said to kind of start, start off, it's, just, it's all wrapped up in who Jesus is. Both of, both of these points or ideas, whatever you want to call them, are wrapped up in who Jesus is. 
Verse 16 from last week, we saw that by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. So the way that we love one another is all because of who Jesus is. And the way that we know that we are saved, the way that we have confidence before God, is all who Jesus is. There's really no other basis. There's no, I guess, foundation would probably be a more biblical. There's no other foundation that we can go off of. So because of Jesus, our salvation is secure. If you remember back, the very first week we spent in 1 John, we, I ran through a couple different reasons for John's writing the letter of 1 John to this group of believers. Um, one of those reasons we see is it's actually in chapter 5, verse 13. So I'm going to spoil it a little bit. But in chapter 5, verse 13, John says, I'm writing these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. He's, he's writing to a group of believers that they may know that they have eternal life. He's writing them so, to try to remove all doubt so they would not doubt their salvation, but they would know that they are saved. And in verse 19, back in chapter 3, he says, By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before him. It's insane that, though. He's writing to assure Christians of their salvation. But it's so easy to doubt. It's so easy to question. There's so many things that can lead to that. I mean, when difficult life experiences, when tragedy, when, when all these different things might happen, it's really easy to start questioning, to start, to start doubting. Is God, how can he love me if this is happening to me? How can God be loving if, if this is happening in the world, in my life? And it can cause people to doubt. Maybe it's after we, we lose an argument with, them, with somebody who doesn't believe. Maybe somebody has better points than us in, in showing us that, that God's not real. And then we start to question what we know, what we've been told, what we've been taught, what we grew up with, the salvation that we know. Or maybe it's even because of our own sin. I, think that's, I really think this is one of the primary ways in which the, Satan attacks is, is when Christians, when, 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 when sin when we sin, he gets in and says, wait, that's not how Christians would act. That if you were really saved, you wouldn't have done that. Are you sure you're saved? And he leads us into questioning and maybe doubting our salvation. And that usually just leads to grief or remorse, usually more sin. But as we've seen in 1 John so far, and we're going to see it all the way through, John has constantly been saying to these believers what God has done, not what they have done. He's constantly pointing to what, what God has done. That God, that talking about salvation, God has done X, Y, and Z. He's not said, look what you've done. You've not done X, Y, and Z to be saved. But look what God has done. I'm just going to run through just a couple of them. Right at the start of his letter, in the first two verses, he says, wait, this is, look at Jesus. Jesus was made manifest. I've seen him. I've touched him. I've learned from him. He's come bringing eternal life. And in chapter, in chapter 2, I'm going to go ahead and read these two, these two. I don't know if I put them on there. Nope. So, if you have your Bibles open, chapter 2, verse 1 and 2 says, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. 
He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. He's saying, again, it's not what we do, but it's that we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, that he is the propitiation for our sin. It's what he has done. Verse 16 in chapter 3, we saw last week. By this we know love that he laid down his life for us. Verse 20 this week. For whenever our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our hearts. It's this continual what he has done, not what we have done. It's not what we have done for salvation, but what he has accomplished. If it were up to us, we have a ton of reason to doubt. If salvation is something that we earn, if it's something that, that we have done, we have a lot of reason to doubt. I mean, I was trying to think through that this week, and it's like, man, if it's based on my doing anything, if it's based on my following rules, if it's based on anything that I've done, there's so much room to doubt our own salvation. But how we can be assured of our salvation Assurance of salvation is only Jesus. Jesus is how we can be assured of salvation. If salvation is all him, then that's where assurance is. Like John can say, be assured, reassure your hearts before God. Because it's not in what we've done, it's in Jesus. One of my favorite chapters in the Bible is John 10. And listen to what, this is Jesus speaking in John 10. It's verse 28 through 30. I know I put these in. Chapter 10, verses 28 and 30. This is the chapter when Jesus is calling himself the good shepherd. Jesus says, I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. It says nothing about what we've done there. It says nothing about how we got into the Father's hand, other, how we got into Jesus' hand, other than God gave, him, gave us there. It doesn't say what we've done. It doesn't say how we did anything. It said Jesus is holding on to us. Jesus is saying, once I got you, I got you. Once I got you, I got you. And I think that I've always heard people say, like in, in talking about salvation, just cling tightly to Jesus. Cling tightly to Jesus for salvation. And I'm not saying that's wrong. But I think that our salvation is based on how tightly Jesus is clinging to us. Not how tightly we cling to him. Because if it's based on how tightly I cling, I'm going to let go. I fall. I still sin. I still fail. I'm still inadequate. I'm still weak. But if it's how tightly he's holding on to us, our salvation is secure. Listen, even when, when we see in the Bible, we see Thomas doubting. We see it's, it's near the end of John. When, when, when Thomas is doubting and Jesus shows up, John, Thomas is like, hey, Jesus hasn't risen. I don't believe it. Uh, that, that, didn't, that couldn't have happened. When Jesus, when Jesus is there, he doesn't say, all right, Thomas, you're no good anymore. You doubted me away from me. 
He says, no, come look at my side. Come look at my hands. You're, you're, you're mine. Just because you doubt doesn't mean I cast you away. doesn't mean I kick you out. Come look. Come touch. Come feel. But that's Satan attacks when he says, wait, but you, when you sin, you, you, you fall away. When you, when you doubt, you, you went the other way. How, you're, how can you be worthy of salvation if that's how you're going to act? Look at that sin you did. Look at that sin in your life. And we forget what Christ has already done. Because if we understand salvation, if we understand what Scripture says... then we're no longer condemned because Christ paid the price for us. That we have an advocate with the Father. That that price for that sin that the devil's pointing out to you and saying, look at that sin. It's already been paid. It's already been paid. For when, John says, for when our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. For when our hearts condemn us, I've been thinking about this a lot this week. Um, just, this is when our hearts condemn us. I mean, I, the, things, the various things I read um, related this to, to our conscience. When, when, you, when, you're conscious, when you feel condemned because of, of just what you're thinking, you're like, you go down that path of feeling like you're condemned in your sin. Our conscience, our heart, what, how we respond to things, how we, what we think is often so influenced by our experiences, what we know is true. I mean, I was, I was thinking just how many things are influenced by what we've experienced, what we know, what we've read, what we've seen. Thinking we've had lots of bad dreams going on in our home um, in the, over the last couple of weeks. And it, but it's, dreams are influenced by things you experience, by, by seeing maybe it's a violent movie, Maybe it's um, a painful experience in the past. Maybe it's something that you've been told over and over and over in your life is true. And, and that brings back memories. I, there's so much. I got, I got to thinking this week. And it's like there's so much that people don't know about dreams. But they're, that they are correlated to our experiences, what we know, what we, what we have seen. And only because I know that my parents will probably point this out to me later, that when I, when I was little, Power Rangers got outlawed in our home because it gave a little boy bad dreams. Um, because it's something I saw. It was violent. It was scary. I still haven't watched Power Rangers. I mean, but like, but it's something I experienced. It was too much, apparently. Maybe I was weak. Don't shake your head at me. But it, it influenced my dreams. It influenced my thoughts. It's what we've, because it's something I experienced and I witnessed. And I, my point in saying all this is that what we know is true, what we've experienced the most influences what we, what we know. And it goes back to when we were talking about what we believe. When we were going through that series, what we believe, and we were talking on the Bible, we talked about the importance of knowing Scripture, the importance of internalizing Scripture and memorizing the Word and knowing what, what, what is true. So that when Satan feeds us lies, when the world says, oh, look, look at what you've done, we know what God has already said is true. Because when our hearts condemn us, when we feel like we've, we're, we're condemned in our sin, if we knew truth, 
We would know that Romans 8.1 says that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So if we are saturated with the truth, we know the word of God, we would know that we are not condemned because of Jesus. It's just reinforcing that point, the, the importance of knowing Scripture, the importance of being in the Word, studying the Word. It's just so crucial. So crucial. Because when we start thinking about our sin, when Satan starts pointing that out, when we feel condemned in our sin, when we feel weak, when we feel inadequate, when we, when we doubt, all in all those things, we're looking at ourselves. In all of those things, when we doubt, when we look at our weakness, when we look at our sin, we're looking at ourselves. And what I'm saying this morning is to look at Jesus. To look at Jesus instead of ourselves. To look at Jesus instead of our weakness. To look at Jesus instead of our sin. Because he paid the price for those. He knew all those things about you and still chose to save you. He knew you were weak. He knew your sin. He knew all of that and still chose to save you. So if it's up to us, we've got so much room to doubt. So much room to doubt. But if Jesus alone is who accomplished salvation, if Jesus alone died on a cross and paid the penalty for sin, redeemed us, gave us life when we had none, if that was all based on him, then we can have assurance that we are saved. That if, if that is where our trust is, then we can know that we are saved. And because our salvation is secure, we know we can now have confidence before God. But it's only after we understand that that we could ever have confidence before God. Look at verse 21 and 22. John says, Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him, because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. John has just pointed out that as believers, if your heart condemns you, your heart is wrong. He's talking, he's talking about believers. He says, if, if your heart says you're still condemned, you're wrong. He says, God is greater than your heart. That if that is the case, you're looking inwardly. You're not looking at Jesus. But once we know that we are not condemned anymore because of Jesus, we can have confidence. And that shifts everything here. What does it look like to have confidence before God? I mean, I, when I picture, every time when I picture someone in the presence of God, it's, it's Isaiah that comes to mind. Isaiah in, in Isaiah chapter 6, we see Isaiah the prophet come into the presence of God. And he becomes ultra aware of his sin. He's like, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. It's woe is me. He becomes ultra aware of his sin, knowing he's not worthy to be there. Knowing that, that, that he has no standing before God. But then something drastic changes. Because right when Isaiah is in this weak, humbled, aware of his sin position, 
He's told, your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And all of a sudden, everything changes. He goes from, when you, that first picture you see of Isaiah is this very low confidence, knowing his sin, knowing his weakness, knowing he's not worthy to be before God. And then as soon as his guilt is taken away, his sin is atoned for. One verse later, God says, who's going to go be my ambassador? Who's going to go? And we, see, and we see Isaiah say, here am I. Send me. It seems like a very different person then than was two verses earlier. Very different. Very different. And again, I'm talking to Christians here, but that is our relationship though. Jesus died to pay the price for sin so that we are forgiven. Our sin has been atoned for. We can have confidence before God. And it's just this beautiful picture that I think is hard to wrap, it's hard for me to wrap my mind around at least, is that when God sees us, he's, it doesn't see us in our sin any longer, but he sees Jesus. That we are clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. That is baffling to me. It's amazing. That as we approach God, as we approach God, we can have confidence knowing that we're not condemned in our sin, but are seen as righteous. And that confidence looks a lot of different ways. Confidence before God looks a lot of different ways. I just want to touch on a couple. I think that the now as saved people, as redeemed people, we can pray confidently. We can pray confidently. We could go into this a lot deeper. There's a lot of these verses that we could spend a lot more time on. And I'm not going to... We're going to get more to this in chapter 5. Well, Tanner probably will. But more on this. On What does it mean to pray confidently, knowing that God's going to give it to us? And what it means to pray according to the will of God? But do you feel like you pray confidently? That, that when you pray, you... You, you come before him not as a, a slave to a slave master, not to, as a, this like lowest subject to a king, but what it looks like to approach him as a son to a good, good father who wants to give good gifts to his children. How do you approach God in prayer? Is it confident? Because he says, whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. So there's more to it. It's not just we ask for whatever we want and we get it. There's a lot more to this. But it's as we keep his commandments, as we're doing what pleases him, as we love our brothers and sisters sacrificially and obey that command. It's not as asking for more things. It's asking as we are obedient and sacrificially giving and sacrificially serving and doing what he's asked. I mean, I find this in my own prayer life all the time. As I pray, it's almost like, God, can't, would, would you please do this? Maybe, like, maybe if you want to. Like, I, it, it's very often, that's how I find myself praying. Instead of, 
being confident, knowing that God can heal, that God can save, that God can do anything. And holding the results in open hands and not tie, trying to tie God's hands and say, well, you've got to act this way. But do we still approach him boldly and confidently? I think we can also evangelize confidently. We can share Jesus confidently. Because if we believe that Jesus is, is our only source of salvation, that Jesus alone saves, that he alone is the one that purchased salvation, he's the one that atoned for our sin, that we know it's, if we know it's not our smooth words, or if it's not our knowledge, or it's not our debating ability, it's not our convincing then we can evangelize confidently, knowing that it's all Jesus. I think we can also be confident in in sanctification. Knowing sanctification, this process of God making us more and more like Jesus. That the process is a lifelong process that's often a lot slower than we wish it would be. But look at the very end of verse 24. Very last verse. And by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. As Christians, we have the Holy Spirit inside of us, active, changing us, molding us, shaping us. I mean, there's multiple people that have been a part of this church or a part of this church that I've seen that have been saved and then there's dramatic change. Not overnight, but over the course of weeks, a couple months, over a year. Radically changed. Attitudes changed. Behaviors changed. Because the Holy Spirit is active. It's changing us. It's showing our salvation. But we can be confident. Philippians 1.6. We can be confident that God is going to complete the process that he started. He's going to bring it to completion. We can be confident in that. Did you see though how, how it all comes full circle? All on what Christ has done. That our confidence before God is not based on us. It's not based on what qualities we brought, how far along we are in the sanctification process. It's not how obedient we are. Our confidence is not based on that. But our confidence is based on what Christ has done. We can know we are saved because what Jesus has done. Not what we've done, but what Christ has done. Like, do you feel like you struggle with any of this? Assurance, knowing you're saved. Confidence in prayer. Confidence in, in your relationship with God. Because I think it all comes back to what we believe about Jesus. What we believe about who he is. What he did. I think it all comes back to this. Verse 23. And this is his commandment. That we believe in the name of of his son, Jesus Christ. And love one another just as he commanded us. He's writing to Christians. 
He's writing to those who are already trusting in Christ for salvation. He says, this is the command, that we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ. It's so much more than a one-time salvation. One more time, okay, in this moment I believed in Jesus, but that doesn't matter for the rest of my life. It's so much more than that. This is from Daniel Aiken. He he wrote, wrote one of the commentaries that I read this week. And what, what does it mean to believe in Jesus? What is, what is he talking about? Here's what he says. He said, To believe in the name of God's Son, Jesus Christ, is to place your trust, your faith, in Him and only Him, and all that He is, the divine Son, the incarnate deity, the sinless human, the perfect atonement for sin, the messianic Savior, You trust all of him, not some, not part, not not even most, but you trust the biblical Christ or you trust no one at all. You trust the biblical Christ or you trust no Christ at all. Sorry. If you're doubting your assurance, if if you're doubting your salvation, if you're lacking confidence... Believe in the name of Jesus as the sinless human, the divine Son of God, the incarnate deity, the perfect atonement for your sin. The one that took your shortcomings, your failures, your inadequacies, your sin. The one that paid the price for all of that so that you might be clothed in His righteousness. Stop looking at yourself. Stop looking at your weakness. Stop looking at this. Stop looking at that. Look at Jesus. Do you feel like you lack confidence before God? Confidently, confident in prayer. Do you, do you feel like that's something that you lack? I just want to remind you of your relationship to God. As the Bible says that you've been adopted as sons and daughters. Adopted. And just think of, think of adoption for just a moment. I could go on a long rabbit trail on this. Just think of adoption. It's based on the parent's initiative to set their affection, their love on this child, bring them into their family, give them their last name, make them a part. Based on the parents' love, their desire for that child. That's what God has done. Adopted us into His family through the blood of His Son. Made us sons and daughters. When we are relating to God, it's not as a slave master or a slave to a slave master. It's not to, it's not as a lowly subject to a to a wrathful king. But it's as sons and daughters to a good father, who says knows what we need, who desires to give us good gifts. That is how we're relating to God. It's based on His adoption of us, adopting us as sons and daughters. We can go before God confidently. He wants us to come before Him in prayer with our need and our dependence. Asking for that daily bread. Asking for God's name to be hallowed on the earth. Asking for God to do great things. But it all comes back to our assurance that Christ has done it all. It all comes back to our confidence in Jesus. And this is his commandment 
that we believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. Last week we talked about that, that, obe- that loving one another is an act of obedience. So we are called to do that. To be obedient, we must do this. But this week, if you hear nothing else, just like I said to start out with, if you hear nothing else, it's believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. To be saved, to persevere, to be assured of your salvation, to be confident before God, believe in the name of Jesus. Maybe that's not where you've been hoping. Maybe that's not where your assurance has been. Maybe you've called yourself a Christian for a very long time, but you're exhausted trying to do enough good things. You're you're exhausted trying to keep up. You're exhausted trying to do the right thing or trusting in anything that you are doing. Believe in the name of Jesus. Be assured because of Jesus, not because of all those things. Maybe you've been a Christian for three months. Maybe you've been a Christian for 50 years. But my encouragement to you is the same. Trust in Jesus. In your struggles, in your inadequacies, when life gets really, really hard, when you feel really, really weak, when you doubt, look at Jesus. We sang this song last week. And if I would have planned ahead, I would have um, maybe asked Tanner and them to play it, but I, or Nick or, or one of them. But I, I just want everyone, I'm, we're going to play the, I'm going to play the song, Fix My Eyes. I say I'm going to play it. It's going to play through the speakers. I'm not doing anything. Fix My Eyes. Just look at Jesus. Don't look at yourself. Look at him as your assurance, his confidence, all of that. I'm going to read these lyrics. They're not going to be on the screen yet. I'm just going to read through the lyrics and just listen to the words of the song. When my heart is weary, when my soul is weak, when it seems I can't traverse the trail before me, I survey the glory of your agony and I find the will to fight for what's before me because you ran the race, enduring for your glory. I fix my eyes on you, the founder and the finisher of our faith. I fix my eyes on you. The solace in your suffering is my strength. As I fight to follow, you are my righteous guide. And you train me to delight in all that's holy. Heal my broken body. Cure my crooked stride. Throw off every weight and sin that clings so closely. I will run the race, enduring for your glory. You help me breathe. You're the only life I need. You died for me. You're the only life I need. I'm going to play this song. Many of you know it. I just want to encourage you just to sit and listen to the words. If you want to sing, feel free to sing. But just listen to these words. 
And I say, look at Jesus, the founder and the finisher of our faith. Look at Jesus. Look to Jesus for that salvation that we are so desperate for. But look to Jesus in every moment after that for assurance, for confidence, for life. Just listen to the words.